Hey everyone, this is Souls and Souls and I'm Reverend Beth. In today's conversation, we're going deep into the intersection of contemplation and social action. I think it's a particularly timely conversation for the moment we find ourselves in the world today. And I hope that you will find something in this offering that touches on and feeds your spiritual journey. Take a listen. My guest today is the Reverend Daniel Wolpert. He's a healer and student of the spiritual life. Before that, Dan says that he worked as a research scientist, a psychologist, a spiritual director, farmer, teacher, and construction worker. And I have to say, when I read that list, I feel like I'm underachieving, Dan. (laughs) Oh, sorry. <laughs> you um, you have also been uh, the co-founder and executive director of the Minnesota Institute of Contemplation and Healing with the acronym MICA. And Dan is the author of several books. And the most recent is Creation's Wisdom, Spiritual Practice, and Climate Change. And it came out in 2020. Welcome, Dan. Well, thank you. It's great to be here with you. Thanks yeah. for having me. So uh, let's just start with a a big question on like a book on climate crisis and contemplation. I'm not sure if the general public thinks um, those two are really connected or if we've got there the extreme of uh, a justice cause and and that life of a monk. So tell us, tell us how those all all fit together. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the really big uh, and I would suggest false uh, divides, uh, particularly in the in the Western world, is uh, that you have action or justice work or however you want to phrase that on one side, and then right you have contemplation, navel gazing, dissociation from society uh, on the other, and and i really feel like that's a, a huge uh, misunderstanding and really uh, an inappropriate characterization of the way the spiritual life works and uh, really i think that that those are actually two sides of the same coin and that our contemplative life uh, always leads to an active life and then vice versa uh, and you know and we see that i mean if we look at the new testament all the jesus stories uh, we see that rhythm all the time right so he goes and he does something feeds five thousand people then he goes up on the mountain to pray or goes out in the middle of the lake on a boat and uh, and so we see that rhythm uh, and and certainly within the life of uh, all of the famous contemplatives we see a similar kind of thing as well that These people, even though maybe they spend a lot of time, quote, doing nothing, uh, they are incredibly involved in the transformation of their society. So uh, so that's really my starting point with this. And as I talk about in the book, I think that fundamentally the climate problem, although it has uh, obviously many elements to it, the, the fundamentally the climate problem is a spiritual crisis. Uh, that it's really a crisis of relationship, uh, relationship to ourselves, relationship to the rest of the living and non-living world, as, as we might call it, uh, and relationship to, uh, to the divine. So, uh, so to me, uh, we can talk about all of the mechanical fixes 
as much as we want. But if we're not really addressing this basic spiritual issue, I, I think that we um, are, are always going to be in a bit of a conundrum with this. I mean, I mean, I totally agree. <laughs> um, I, I look, though, you know, there's such an urgency and you look at the layers of complexity you've got an economic system <laughs> globally mm -hmm. that uh, leaves a lot of people behind etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. um, this increase in polarization and um, how, do you have some wisdom on how we keep our those of us who just are aching um, for a better world or for what Jesus might have called the kingdom um, how do we keep our anxiety in check or, or to put that in a more positive light, our deep passion to get on with it and <laughs> change these mm -hmm. systems? Yeah. Well, so this is also where I think the spiritual life and the teachings of the spiritual life are extremely important and actually very, very helpful uh, because one of the things that is happening uh, with people in relation to the climate crisis uh, and a couple of months ago, I was on public radio actually doing a show on climate anxiety, um, is that you're getting a lot of uh, despair, right? Uh, because people realize this is a massive problem, right? It's a worldwide problem, seven, eight, nine billion people. Um, and I, as an individual, really can't do much of anything. Right. I, and I can do, you know, or I can do all the things, right? I can recycle, I can drive a, you know, Prius or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and it doesn't seem to really make much of a difference. And so you then uh, have, well, in some ways, a very natural response of people, uh, people just giving up uh, or people having uh, a kind of intractable anxiety that doesn't go away. And I think that the spiritual life very much addresses this reality of individual powerlessness. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my, I have a whole bunch of uh, little phrases that I picked up over the years that, that I think are helpful little spiritual teaching phrases. Mm -hmm. and, and one of my favorite ones is, uh, give up all hope of fruition. Uh, and uh, that the, this idea that hope is often, this isn't always the case, but often the way we think of hope, uh, the way we experience hope is that it actually is just an ego project, mm -hmm. right? So I'm hopeful if I think I can fix something. And then as soon as I realize I can't fix it, then maybe I get very grumpy and, and despairing and, uh, and all of that. But the spiritual life says, well, no, if, if we're working at undermining all of our ego projects in a sense, that we start by giving up that kind of hope. We say, all right, well, I can't fix the climate crisis, but that doesn't mean that I can't engage my life in the life of the world uh, in a way that is much more uplifted and positive. And so I really think that, that this is something that the spiritual life very much brings to this kind of a crisis, right? is that, yeah, I can't fix the world, uh, but I can transform my relationship to the world. And I don't know what that's going to do for climate change writ large, 
but I know that it is going to make me a different person. And as I relate to this reality that's in front of me. So I, I hear you saying it's, it's like you don't, um, your hope isn't based on the results. Um, and, and is it like, is it almost that whole piece of the contemplative meditative life teaches us to stay in the moment. So is there something there about um, in in staying in the moment, we are better equipped to to actually tap into that deeper hope or? Yeah, so it again, it, you know, I like, I like looking at this from the point of view of relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Because most of the time, what we are doing and, and of course, all of this uh, for any individual has a lot to do with, you know, what is my social location? What is my level of privilege in society? It, what, you know, and so, um, so many of the terms that we use in relation to the spiritual life often have to be redefined depending on what that is. So mm-hmm. I just say that as kind of a parenthetical. But um, most of the time, we as human beings are kind of in a zombie-like state. We're, we're very much checked out of what is actually going on, and we're running on these habitual patterns, right? So we're taught uh, how to live and how to relate to the world uh, by our society, by our family, by our church, by uh, all of the things that, that we are given uh, growing up, by our language, uh, And out of that, we have and create and are given a sense of what the world is like. And we think that that's how the world really is, but it's Mm -hmm. not. That's an, it's a delusion. And then we're, you know, we're like these wind up toys and sort of off we go through life. And if we never do any kind of reflection, uh, you know, we just go through life and then we die. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) And so what contemplation does is it allows us to begin uh, to see that, that reality that we are caught in that is essentially uh, uh, some kind of delusion. Uh, and now we actually begin to have real choice, right? So that's the thing about living in that habituated state. We think we're making choices all the time, mm. but we're really not. Uh, we really are, are uh, our behaviors, our attitudes, our feelings about things are incredibly determined. And, but now, uh, as I begin to live this contemplative life, as I start to wake up, there's another term for this, mm-hmm. from this sleep-like state, yeah. uh, we actually have the capacity to make a real choice. And so uh, as we see the world as it is, as we see ourselves as we are in the world, uh, again, we start to have a very different relationship to reality. And, uh, and we begin to respond to the suffering that's in the world. We begin to develop a, an incredible compassion for the world. Um, and, and many, you know, and in the book, I use all kinds of examples of the sort of mindless behavior. You know, there's one little story of us walking down the street and watching these two young people just throwing their trash everywhere on the street, right? And 
again, this is just this mindless behavior like that. Well, that's what we do. You know, we've got a piece mm-hmm. of trash, we just throw it on the street. Um, I, I used to be part of a group that, you know, picked up trash along the highway, one of these adopt a highway things. And I was amazed each time I went out, I thought, okay, this time there's going to be less trash on the highway. And I was always amazed at, at how many bags of garbage we filled. And, you know, I just had this vision of all these people just throwing their trash out uh, onto the street. And, you know, and this is a simple little thing, but that's a relationship issue, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like, well, I have this garbage in my car. I don't want it in my car. Oh, I'll just put it outside my car. Mm-hmm. Well, what's my relationship to the world outside my car? So, mm-hmm. you know, as we start to wake up, we can say, oh, gee, do I really want to do that? Is, is that how I want to live in the world? And, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot starts to change. Well, I like, I mean, in, in your most recent book, you speak of the, of the various elements and you speak about space, which to me is a really beautiful spiritual word um, because we think of the space between us, if you will, as just being nothing, but of course, a little bit of science uh, under your belt. And you know that, that there's all sorts of um, uh, waves and, and uh, connections in the space between. So so what I hear you pointing to is, is there, it's not, um, it's shifting that mindset from the natural world, just being other and, and then the way we've, um, abused and utilized it all these centuries into, um, an actual connection, um, that somehow we need to learn to feel again, um, with everything that, you know, gives us life basically. Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, and one of the things about our habituated uh, mind is that it's in, it, it is incredibly claustrophobic. There is very little space. <laughs> and in mm-hmm. fact, we're always trying to fill whatever space there is with just our junk, um, our projects, our attitudes, our preconceived notions. And uh, and interestingly, stepping out into the vast spaciousness that does exist, uh, both material spaciousness, but also spiritual spaciousness, mm-hmm. is somewhat terrifying, right? I mean, people will always say, oh, you know, I'm a control freak. I don't like the unknown. I, you know, I don't like uncertainty. Well, big space, there's a lot of unknown and there's a lot of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. Um, because it's just way bigger than we are, right? God, Mm -hmm. whatever term we use for that is way bigger than we are. And, And so we shrink from that. And again, that shrinking is one of the things that allows us to get into a very toxic relationship with the rest of reality. Uh, But as we allow ourselves to exist uh, within this uh, spacious quality uh, that exists everywhere, uh, that actually uh, brings about a a real sense of of, uh, empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. I now can take up space. I now can be in space. Or if I'm of, let's say, the, the... the privileged class that already takes up too much space, I become aware of that and I can take up less space and I can mm-hmm. uh, appreciate that other people can have more space. 
And so again, this starts to really realign the way that we're dealing with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and allows us to, to recognize that, oh, right, everything around me has this amazing uh, live quality. And of course, you know, spiritual traditions have always talked about that. And it's just very recently as we've commodified everything uh, that we uh, have been, you know, taught that that everything around us is not necessarily a living being. It's just a commodity to exploit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm always fascinated, of course, living north of the 49th parallel, um, when the weather turns <laughs> sunny or the least bit warm, um, I run outside and, and I I live in a modern city, um, with hundreds of people living a stone's throw from, from me in apartments and, um, no one else sits on their patio. I, I sit out there with my family quite regularly and marvel at the probably 40 balconies and patios we can see. We're always alone. Um, And at the same time, you hear people who have the privilege of uh, getting out of the city and going for hikes and being in the outdoors speak about, well, this is my church, right? This is the place where Mm -hmm. I'm fed. Um, And I guess it just it just makes me um, think sometimes that uh, that's that beauty of creation is all around us. And it's even in places that might be ugly and um, Yeah, I guess just a, an urging of um, how do we bring that beauty to people? How do, how do you yeah. inspire that in others? Yeah. Um, well, one of the really interesting things about the pandemic is actually that it has gotten people outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if this is happening as much in Canada, but in the United States, it's a big, big thing. And there have been more people taking hikes, going camping, uh, than, than before, uh, the pandemic. And, and I think, uh, you know, that's had some kind of funny unintended consequences as, you know, people who have no idea how to camp (laughs) try to do that. And, um, uh, there's some interesting stories about that, but overall, I think this is an incredibly positive thing. Mm -hmm. And there is, uh, there's no question that, uh, particularly with young people, uh, you know, folks have talked about this, uh, this kind of deprivation of a natural connection. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the more that we can engage with the whole of the ecology, uh, the better off we're going to be. Uh, because there, there is just this incredible uh, beauty and power and Uh, again, positive sense of relationship with that. And the more disconnected you are from that, uh, the easier it is to support then all kinds of policies and and various things that that do a lot of harm uh, to the natural world. Uh, But once, you know, once you have that caring connection established, why would you want to hurt something that is is so wonderful? Mm -hmm. I, I heard you say once that um, revulsion is the foot of contemplation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's connected to this. It's um, it, so what is it that finally, if you will, brings us to our knees to say, 
like something's got to give and maybe I'll just um, try a different approach here. So tell me, just tell me more about that concept for you. Yeah. So that's another one of those uh, spiritual ditties that I really like. Um, Yeah. Revulsion is the foot of meditation. Um, And, you know, that is, uh, if you're one is familiar with the 12 step program, for example, people talk about hitting bottom. I mean, it's just basically that idea that it's kind of a sad thing actually, but, (laughs) but this notion that we don't really change until we get really, really sick of what, is going on either what we're doing or what is happening around us or uh, something like that and and so i think that uh you know we we are certainly seeing that in terms of the climate crisis like you know some of us have been talking about this for decades largely seemingly to an empty room um but suddenly when you know, your entire state is on fire, people are like, oh, maybe this is a problem. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so I, I do think that, uh, that that sense of sort of disgust or that, that maybe it's experienced as abject terror, um, yeah, that is very motivating. And uh, again, it's kind of sad that we have to get to that point, but, uh, you know. So, I mean, have you found over the past two years that you are being more sought out? I mean, you've been at this for like, you're like a, like an old school meditator (laughs) at this point, right? Right, right. Um, Do do you find just anecdotally that, um, that people who would not be your normal followers your normal uh are are reaching out in some sorts of ways or are you seeing signs of that elsewhere well absolutely and and not i mean not just with me but the you know and i do talk about this in the book in terms of this idea that the problems and solutions appear together in ecological systems and Mm. You know, the rise of interest in the spiritual life over the four or so decades that I've been doing this has, has just been unbelievable. Uh, yeah, the, um, the recognition of its importance, of its value. I think one of the latest things, and this connects back to your first question, is that in activism circles, uh, which I've also been very involved with uh, for very, very long time. Um, the recognition in activist circles of the need for spiritual development uh, is has been just going up by leaps and bounds, uh, particularly over the last decade. And I think people are realizing that, yeah, out, outward work is great. And if we're not doing our inward work, then one of the problems is, is that people just, uh, you know, and this is this uh, habit thing, people just um, uh, reenact all of the habits of oppression, all of the habits of injustice uh, on themselves and each other as they're doing this activist work. And so, uh, so we really need both that inward transformation as well as the outward transformation, right? There, you know, and, and spiritual traditions talk about this as well, that the inner and the outer are not different things. Right? They're, they're very much uh, mirrors and, uh, and 
different aspects of the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, this is where the, uh, the inward work is so important when we're talking about a justice issue. And, uh, and yeah, the, the growth of that is, is great. Uh, it's just fantastic. Well, I'm interested to you speak of um, uh, culturally being uh, growing up in a, a family that was non-religious, but uh, had a Jewish heritage. You seem to have landed, uh, I mean, you have reverend as a title, um, you know, landed in the Christian tradition. And this uh, book that you've most recently offered pulls on Buddhist Tibetan um, traditions. And and I know you, you speak quite eloquently on uh, that need to not appropriate tradition, other people's mm -hmm. traditions. Um, but I, I, what I'm curious about is, is the, the future of the spiritual well-being of people and perhaps the gift um, in, in not melting it all together, but in uh, finding um, the parts of other traditions that perhaps can feed into to the one we're already rooted in. Mm -hmm. that, some thoughts on that yeah i mean this is a this is a big big topic mm -hmm. yeah just a, <laughs> you, a three minute answer would be fine. yeah right <laughs> <laughs> you, you could do a whole series of podcasts on this one um, so for a long time i've been saying that uh, kind of interreligious uh, work is in many ways, one of the key issues of the 21st century, right? So on an increasingly populated, crowded planet, uh, what are we going to do about all these different religious and spiritual traditions as they bump into each other, as they, you know, compete for members and dollars and, and all the things that, uh, that religious traditions do, unfortunately. And, um, and I think the, to me, there's, there are kind of two aspects of this. One is that uh, grounding ourselves in our own backgrounds and traditions, I think, is an incredibly valuable exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, because otherwise, we are very unrooted, right? And, and so when we're talking about particularly this climate issue, right? So where are our roots? You know, and in the book, I tell this great story of this interaction between this white biologist and a, and a native uh, elder where, you know, she's trying to get him to say, she says, well, who are your people, right? Who are your roots? And, and he doesn't even know how to answer this question, right? And he's very unmoored uh, by this. And uh, so, so I do think that it is very important, and particularly if we're coming from the white colonial persuasion, uh, I think it's really valuable to, to look at that. And at the same time, if our approach to religion is just this idea of, you know, my religion is the best, yours is the worst, let's fight over this, uh, that is again, just a repetition of all of the worst aspects of religion that we've seen in humanity forever. And I do think, you know, a lot of people are talking about uh, what does a post-religious world look like? Uh, certainly in the United States, and I think in most other of what we call the Western world, uh, interest in organized religion is uh, 
you know, uh, cratering at an incredibly mm -hmm. uh, fast rate. And I think that that reflects uh, sort of an innate feeling. And this is where I talk about that I'm a student of the spiritual life, not a student of any particular religion per se. Mm -hmm. Because when the human being sits down to pay attention to their own mind, you know, what religion are they? They're, they're not any religion. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, um, mm -hmm. they may come from a particular tradition. They, they do that out of a certain cultural and social location. Um, but, but the basic uh, practices of attention, those are universal. And so I think that going forward, as I said, especially as the planet gets more and more crowded, especially as we are bumping into each other uh, on a, more and more on a daily basis. Uh, I think we really have to look at uh, this question of how are we going to relate to uh, religious institutions, religious practice? Um, and are we going to relate to that from uh, kind of this uh, colonial competitive view, or are we going to relate to it more uh, a friend of mine once says, you know, it's kind of like uh, different flavors of ice cream. You know, everybody likes ice cream, but they like different flavors. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that image uh, <laughs> in some ways. Um, it's good. Uh, but it's a big, big, uh, big, big issue. Uh, well, it's interesting. So, I mean, I serve, I, I work in a church and we have just in recent months hired uh, a Buddhist um, who has, you know, theological training as a, a fully fledged leader in her tradition and what a gift it's been to a Christian church mm -hmm. to have this Buddhist leader come in and, um, and work with us and, and not really as a, um, Oh, look, we have a Buddhist on staff, you know, like she's working within our culture, um, and bringing mm -hmm. her own tradition while respecting ours. It's just a beautiful example. Um, and one that I'm not convinced is, is happening in very many um, institutions these days. Um, but it, it gives me yeah. a glimpse of that post-religious mm -hmm. world. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm thinking um, I have, um, you know, many of my listeners like me come from the Protestant traditions where um, the, the word and the scripture and the preaching has been the most important thing. And it's like, we're just mm -hmm. babies at trying to figure out how to contemplate and slow down and stop. So I'd love to put you on the spot and invite you to, can you share with, uh, with some of the listeners, um, some spiritual practice that, um, that they might be able to just you know, stop listening when this is over and just go and give it a try. Is there, is there, is there a sort of entry level spiritual practice that you might? Yeah, share? yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think one of the most basic spiritual practices, right, is uh, silence. And, uh, and in some ways, it, it's one that, um, a lot of people have a hard time with, although, as we've talked about, more and more people are doing this. So, mm -hmm. so a lot of people have experience with it. I think one of the things, the first thing that I would say is that all uh, spiritual practices really have come out of and are designed to be done in community. Mm 
Mm. And, and this is something that I just emphasize a lot, particularly within cultures that are so individualistic. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, I try to do these things. It's hard to do them by myself. And I say, yeah, it is hard to do by yourself. And it's, it's really great to do in community. And before we got going, you mentioned how mm -hmm. uh, during the pandemic, people in your church community have started doing contemplation together. And, and so yeah. I think that's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so given that caveat, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think go find that, a community. Uh, yeah, <laughs> go, go find, find a community. <laughs> go find yeah. a community. Uh, yeah. But that, that sometimes is hard. So, you know, I think relative to the uh, to the topic that we've been talking about, uh, this uh, issue of climate, mm -hmm. you know, I think combining silence with walking in nature. Uh, is a wonderful contemplative practice and has a very, very deep history in many spiritual traditions. Um, and one of the things to do uh, with the, this is to uh, do what we call wander aimlessly. So we're not going on a hike to a destination and then back, <laughs> right? Uh, but rather, we're just setting off, right? And so... Uh, this connects to, for example, the practice of pilgrimage uh, in, you know, the Australian native tradition. People have heard about this term walkabout, yeah. right? Um, and it's this idea that we are simply going to allow ourselves to be led. And this can be for a very long period of time, uh, or it can be a short period of time, right? So half an hour. And I'm just going to wander and I'm going to pay attention. And so the two aspects of this practice are, are one, I'm, I'm going to walk slowly, mm -hmm. you know, not super slowly, but, you know, I'm not going for my power walk to get my cardio in kind of thing. Um, so I'm going to walk slowly and I'm really going to allow myself to, uh, to be very present to all of my senses. Uh, and again, if, if, one has different disabilities, you may do this differently. So I want to be uh, cognizant of that as well. But uh, however you, you engage this, I'm going to pay attention to, again, relative to, uh, to the state of your senses, uh, to sights, to sounds, to smells, to the feel of the, of the ground underneath me. And I'm simply going to allow myself to be drawn in by all of that. And, uh, and I, I'm going to ask myself, just what am I noticing? And this is one of the great questions of the spiritual life. What, what am I noticing? Um, and, you know, that's something we can do anytime. Uh, as you've said, this time of year, uh, particularly in the Northern area, it's a lot, uh, maybe feels better to go out and about than uh, in the middle of winter in Minnesota, let's say. Um, uh, so that's a very simple practice, you know, and, uh, and I think also at this time of uh, change in work habits, a lot of people are working at home, a lot of people are, you know, sitting in front of the computer a lot. Uh, so to get up and for 10 minutes, you know, go outside, uh, walk for a little bit, uh, walk slowly, listen, look, smell, uh, it's a wonderful practice. Mm. What are you noticing? And you know, what I've noticed is um, even <laughs> through computer screens, um, we've been able to find new ways to connect um, and to actually mm -hmm. feel connected. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> 
there's hope for us yet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Unless there's anything more you you want to be sure to say, I want to thank you for speaking with us us and remind people that uh, Dan Walport's latest book is called Creation's Wisdom, Spiritual Practice and Climate Change. Um, It's a really excellent readable, practical book. So you introduce um, ideas for the ordinary person um, with a whole, beautiful stories and a whole lot of practices. Um, so I, I recommend it to any who are listening. Thank you, Dan. It's been great to be with you. Well, you're very welcome, Beth. It has been great to be with you. It's been, been a joy. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Souls and Souls. I'm Reverend Beth. And if you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Like it, share it with a friend, and visit us at canadianmemorial.org. Until next time.